0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. Thank you very much for joining us. In the interest of keeping a low carbon footprint for today's podcast, we are going to go musicless. So I hope you can hang in our effort to help save the environment. Today, we're going to incorporate a few of the things we've talked about recently to take a critical look at the number one most influential movement in the world and that is the green movement to eliminate fossil fuels. We have tried to illustrate how important critical thinking is, how important knowing how things work is, and most recently we've illustrated how important it is to have your own philosophy so you can have a consistent stance to be applied to every issue, not just some of them, right? So since the philosophy podcast... I've come to see that not having a philosophy gets you into trouble with contradictions and you'll quickly lose any credibility. I use the example of people who are pro-choice for abortion, but not for an experimental therapeutic with severe risks and a non-quantifiable benefit, aka the COVID vaccines. These people don't have a philosophy on choice, so all they can do is follow the herd. So vaccines, good. So go fuck your choice. Let's mandate this shit. And a woman's right to choose is good. So hands off my body, right? It doesn't make any sense because it's really not about choice. So your philosophy should dictate your response, not the other way around, right? You can't reverse engineer your philosophy by working backwards through your beliefs to formulate your philosophy because it would be riddled with contradictions, hypocrisies, and it would just be utter nonsense. So that's why the philosophy part is so important. So takeaway number one, spend some time and drill down into what your philosophy is and don't let the masters of advertising do your thinking for you. Okay. Today we're going to look at the climate catastrophe and see if it passes the facts versus rhetoric smell test. First, we like to start with history. How did we get here? For a very, very long time, people have been forecasting and talking about climate issues, right? In 1896, a seminal paper by a Swedish scientist, Svante Arahanis, totally butchered that name, first predicted that the change in atmospheric carbon dioxide levels could substantially alter the surface temperature through the greenhouse effect. Right, 1938, Guy Callender connected carbon dioxide increases in Earth's atmosphere to global warming. And then you had scientists you kind of first begin to worry about climate change towards the end of the 1950s. Spencer Wirt, a historian, said, quote, It was just a possibility for the 21st century, which seemed very far away, but seen as a danger that we should all prepare for. Talking about climate change, end quote. The scientific community began to unite for action on climate change in the 1980s, and the warnings have only escalated since. So that's, you know, a brief history people have been talking about and worrying about these climate issues for a long time. So, since there's some history, let's look at the climate change scoreboard on predictions. Right, there's a lot to choose from here, so I just picked a couple to illustrate my point. The links are in the description if you'd like to see the prediction, and then what actually happened. Quote, the Everglades National Park faces a decisive threat to its existence, end quote. So that was the New York Times science section in 1969. So they were saying, hey, the Everglades National Park faces a threat to its existence. And as of today, there's still 1.5 million acres of tropical and subtropical habitat visited by more than 1 million people from all over the world every year. So kind of missed on that one next one quote by the year 2000 if present trends continue we will be using up crude oil at such a rate that there won't be any more crude oil end quote that was kenneth watt ecologist 1970 so since 1980 fossil fuel proved reserves have rose from around 700 billion barrels to over 1700 billion barrels of proved reserves, so that's oil in the ground that we know is there it's proven so just for a frame of reference in 2021 the entire world used 1.9 billion barrels of fossil fuels so we have 1700 billion barrels in reserve that's about 894 years worth of reserves that are in the ground so i think we got plenty of oil we didn't run out Quote, the ravenous American appetite for minerals will lead to severe shortages in the next few decades unless the nation stop wasting resources. Increasing dependence on low-grade ores also means increasing costs. End quote. So that was from the New York Times Science Section 1973. Worrying about, hey, we keep depleting all these minerals. We're not going to have anything to use. And then, whoops, scoreboard since 1980. Uranium, aluminum, lead, nickel, copper, zinc, iron, ore, all of those had annual growth rates in abundance. So we're getting more of these precious minerals that we thought we would not have anymore. Then you get good old Paul Ehrlich from 1986, quote, As University of California physicist John Holdren has said, it is possible that carbon dioxide climate-induced famine could kill as many as a billion people before the year 2020, end quote. Well, world food supply has been increasing every year since 1989. Scoreboard. A couple more. The New York Times in 1986, quote, Average global temperatures will rise by half to one degree Fahrenheit from 1990 to 2000 if current trends are unchanged. According to Dr. Hansen's findings, Dr. Hansen said the global temperatures would rise another two to four degrees in the following decade. Well, Dr. Hansen was wrong as shit because we're up almost one degree since 1986. In 1989, the Associated Press reported that according to the United Nations Environmental Programs, Noel Brown, quote, entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000, end quote. That was in 1989. Have we lost any nations recently? Did I miss anything on that one? And lastly, quote, some of the models suggest there's a 75% chance that the entire North Polar ice cap during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years, end quote. That was Al, I invented the internet gore in 2009. So just, I, I, love, I love statements like this. There's a 75% chance during some of the summer months that could be completely ice-free. North polar cap, still ice, last time we checked. As you can see, there have been some bad predictions about climate catastrophe, right? And this brings us to takeaway number two. If the experts have been wrong for so long and still will not admit it in the face of the evidence, we are no longer dealing in science, right? We are dealing with politics. This is why the scoreboard is so important, is to hold them accountable. Look, making predictions is hard, but that's why I want to learn about the ones that get them right, not the ones that get them wrong. Let's talk to the people that get them right. Ask them the questions. Hey, how'd you get there? Figure out if it's luck or if they're just looking at things differently. Like what the hell data are you looking at or how did you interpret the data differently to come to a different conclusion than everybody else? And then you have proven right. Let's talk to those people. I don't have time for the experts who were wrong at every turn and instead of admitting they were wrong, you know, and then offering a newly revised prediction, they just keep pretending they've been right all along. Can you think of of any, you know, say, world health experts that have gotten it so wrong, but instead of following the science and the evidence to update their views, they continue down the safe and effective highway? Climate concerns have been around for a long time. The scoreboard doesn't show we have a catastrophe on our hands. Yet despite that, the US and other countries are trying to push this Green New Deal to combat the crisis that is not a crisis. What is the Green New Deal? Let's take a quick look. I've included the whole Green New Deal thing in the comments, so please read it for yourself. But the first sentence already gets me off on the wrong foot, right? The first sentence, recognizing the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. Hmm. No, I don't think there's anything in the Constitution to give the power to the federal government to create a Green New Deal, but whatever. They based the whole Green New Deal on an October 2018 report titled Special Report on Global Warming by 1.5 Degree Centigrade. Okay. Now, when you hear about these special reports and this one was from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. These special reports are from think tanks that are funded by the people who will profit from the action, right? My, one of my favorite sayings, the same ones who sell the panic will sell the cure. So this is how our corrupt-ass government works, right? They fund a think tank to sway policy in their favor. And then the politicians can say, well, the experts agree, and the people buy it, and they help reinforce the narrative and then it all of a sudden gains momentum. Then you have billions of dollars being thrown into this movement. You know, it's a massive movement and no one wants to be on the wrong side of the narrative. So all of a sudden we have a climate catastrophe based on one fucking paper from a bunch of people that have been wrong for 50 fucking years. Okay, so that's that's where we're starting this whole thing. So it can only get better from here, right? So they lay out four things that they want the Green New Deal to do. Number one, human activity is the dominant cause of observed climate change over the past century. Number two, a change in climate is causing sea levels to rise and an increase in wildfires, severe storms, drought, and other extreme weather events that threaten human life, human communities, and critical infrastructure. And number three, global warming at or above 2 degrees Celsius will cause, and then they list some crazy shit just to scare the shit out of you. A massive migration from regions most affected by climate change. More than $500 billion in lost annual economic output in the United States by the year 2100. Wildfires that... By 2050, we'll annually burn at least twice as much forest area in the western United States, a loss of more than 99% of all coral reefs on Earth, more than 350 million more people to be exposed globally to deadly heat stress by 2050. And this is the best one. And a risk of damage of $1 trillion of public infrastructure and coastal real estate in the United States. That's why all the corrupt politicians are buying waterfront homes in Florida. And then finally, global temperatures must be kept below 1.5 degrees Celsius and that will require a global reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from human sources of 40 to 60% by 2030 and net zero global emissions by 2050. Right on page one, they just scare the shit out of you. So right now you're like, oh my God, what do we have to do to avoid that shit? And then you keep on reading in this bill, it's so crazy. It'll say shit like the United States is currently experiencing several related crises with life expectancy declining while basic needs such as clean air, water, healthy food, adequate health care, blah, 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 they're inaccessible. So now they go into all the economic badness that's happening right now. This is real shit like hourly wages have stagnated since the 70s. We have the erosion of earnings and bargaining power of workers. We have inadequate resources for the public sector. We have great income inequality. We have all that shit, but they're saying climate is responsible for our shitty quality of life. See, I thought it was our government policies, but it just turns out it's that evil bitch, mother nature. So anyway, this bill is is complete bullshit. It's everything from disproportionately affecting indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities. Like it's hitting all low-income workers, women, the elderly, I mean the unhoused that's homeless, people with disabilities. Like they hit all... The voting blocks of people that are affected by this climate change and what the Green New Deal will help us do. Woo! All right. Here is where we get into their philosophy to make sense of all the stuff they're saying, the hypocrisies and the nonsensical rhetoric. The green leaders and the followers think that any human impact on nature is evil and their goal should be to eliminate it. Okay, so that's how you have to look at it because that's their philosophy. No matter what they say and how they try to frame it and and tell you it's, you know, Putin's fault or people, the green leaders think that any human impact on nature is evil. That's what they're trying to eliminate. And this explains why they have been so wrong for so long, right? Because they don't care about being right. They don't care because their goal isn't lowering CO2 emissions, The green philosophy, as far as I can tell, is evil is impacting nature. You know, they look at the last 50 years and see all the impact on nature. Good, bad, indifferent, doesn't fucking matter. But there was an impact from humans, therefore it's bad. So even though billions of people are flourishing, that is viewed as a negative because of the environmental side effects that people's flourishment is having. Brings us to takeaway number three. If someone only focuses on the side effects and does not acknowledge any of the benefits, then they are not interested in having a good faith discussion on the topic. Here is where I fundamentally and philosophically disagree with the current climate catastrophe crowd. My environmental philosophy looks like this. Advance human flourishing, be able to eat, protect human life, Right. So keep it safe from nature, the extreme hot, the extreme cold, the fucking wild animals. Enjoy nature and then do my part to be a good steward of the planet. So it's a good time to ask yourself, what is your goal with the environment? What's your philosophy with the environment? Increase human flourishing or eliminate human impact on the earth? It's one or the other. These are not compatible goals. And that's always been my gut objection to this choose earth over people thing. Why are we saving the earth by harming the humans who live on the earth? Whoa, whoa, Nick, I just, I just want to lower my CO2 emissions for the polar bears. Yeah, but at what cost to humans, right? So again, it goes back to the philosophy because lowering CO2 emissions isn't your philosophy. That's like the whole pro-choice example we used earlier. It's pro-choice for abortion, but not everything else. That's not a philosophy. So if lowering CO2 is your philosophy, then great. But that means all of your actions and policies and thoughts and efforts should be geared to lowering CO2 levels. Yeah, Nick, that's me. Lower CO2 levels. I believe in zero carbon footprint, electric cars, solar and wind for making electricity. Eliminate the farting cows. Eliminate the fossil fuels. We're going to go green. And if you disagree with me, you're a climate denying piece of shit. We covered the zero emission lie with the electrical vehicles in an earlier episode. Takeaway number four. There are gas and diesel powered cars. There are battery powered cars. And there are hybrid gas and battery powered cars. There is no such thing as an electric car. So, every time you hear someone say that, please correct everyone who uses the term electric car. The people who are all about the CO2 emissions are usually the biggest opponents of nuclear energy, which doesn't emit any CO2 and is the only alternative with a low cost track record that can be used all over the world. So, CO2 isn't the main goal. Right? It's eliminating all human impact on the environment under the guise of CO2 emissions and hostility towards human impact. Right? Insisting on solar and wind, why? Well, they consider them natural and, and renewable. I'm like, let's, let's dig into this scam a little bit. Electricity makes up 20% of the world's energy. Okay? So out of that 20%, only 3% in the world is from solar and wind. Oh, Nick, why is it only 3%? Well, because it has to rely on government subsidies or a mandate by the government. So solar and wind need government money or mandate. In addition, don't forget this one, to also having a reliable source of energy already on the grid. Fossil fuels, nuclear, hydro, right? Because the wind and sun is inconsistent and not reliable enough to stand alone without a backup to bridge all the peaks and valleys. So electricity makes up 20% of the world's energy. Only 3% of that 20% is solar and wind. Fossil fuels make up 80% of the world's energy. So just let me try to wrap my head around this. The green New Dealers want to eliminate all fossil fuels in the next 28 years and replace it with wind and solar. You know, the clean, renewable energy parasites that currently depend on the government and fossil fuels to even work? Well, yeah, Nick, that's your idea. Okay, let me just try to clarify this down just a little bit more. So we need to transition the remaining 97% of the world's electricity production to wind and solar. Even though they cannot give us 3% without a government mandate and fossil fuel backups. That should sound insane. When you say that out loud, something in your head should be like, that's stupid. That doesn't sound right. Because that doesn't make any sense to me. And here's the reasoning. With today's technology, that is impossible. D- despite all of your effort put into really wanting it to work and wishing on that green star and all of your thoughts and prayers, this is not going to work. Remember what we said you can't have your cake and eat it too. We need to embrace reason as an absolute. That means to choose to face the facts all the time in all areas and no matter what the conclusion logically ensues, whether pleasant. Or unpleasant. How the fuck are you going to get everything on wind and solar? It's just not going to work. And don't, don't take my word for it. Look at Europe. They stopped fossil fuel production and exploration. They banned fracking. They buy wind and solar from China. That still need a natural gas backup. Oh, but oh yeah, as a result of shutting down the fossil fuel production, they have to import the natural gas from Russia. So Europe has become energy insecure. They don't have domestic natural gas to help shoulder the load of the inconsistent wind and solar. And they also have to rely on China, who controls the supply chain for the mining and the processing of all the minerals they need, as well as the manufacturing of all the fucking components. Look how it's going in Europe, with no domestic source of natural gas. Whoops, and we sanctioned Russia so you can't get gas from them anymore. You know, that natural gas pipeline that goes from Russia to Germany. That's fucking useless. So have we increased human flourishing? No. Have we eliminated human impact on the earth? Well, it doesn't sound like it to me, but what do you think? I mean, to me, it sounds like we're sacrificing our own human flourishment for what sounds good, right? That's that altruism bullshit we've been warning about. It it, it will always poke up in these identity politic games, right? This virtue signaling fucking sounds good, but it makes no fucking sense. And it also you're sacrificing your own happiness, right? Your own flourishment. You're sacrificing that at the altar of something that sounds good, but doesn't make any sense. Like everywhere you look, every big corporation, look on anyone's website, Ford, BP, doesn't fucking matter. Pick a major corporation somewhere in their website. They'll, they'll have their goals to eliminate CO2 emissions. Net zero by 2030. Oh, the number one moral road in the world is to eliminate CO2 emissions. People, CO2 emissions are not dangerous to us. Say that again. CO2 emissions are not dangerous to us. They're dangerous because of us. Do you get that? CO2 emissions are a side effect. Of the way we live, fossil fuels, energy. It's a side effect. But you can't look at the side effect without looking at all the benefits of everything that it allows us to do. Without the side effects of the CO2 to fund all these machines and to do all the work for us, we would be doing manual labor again. So go back to the late 1800s where you did manual labor and you died at 30 years old. CO2 emissions are not dangerous to us. They're dangerous because of us. It's not loving nature, it's hating humans. And this is the shit that pisses me off. Alex Epstein, who's very good on this topic, refers to it as human racism. <laughs> Everything we do is bad. I love humans and I love nature. It's not one or the other with me. For humans to flourish, we need affordable and reliable energy. And as of today, only fossil fuels check both those boxes. But Nick, uh, fossil fuel prices have skyrocketed. and That's why we need wind and solar and and end our dependence on these foreign countries. Okay, let's talk about the high prices. There are a lot of rhetoric on why there are high prices. Fucking Putin, inflation, blah, 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 blah. And to make matters worse, the government also uses the supply shortages to say, See, this is why we need more renewables. But you have to remember with commodities, it's all about supply and demand. And what happened with fossil fuels that could have suppressed the supply? Jeez, I don't know. The most influential movement in the world that is focused on eliminating fossil fuels at all costs? I don't know, maybe that one? You know, go back to the Obama administration and continuing with the current Biden administration. Fossil fuel supply has been suppressed in the US oil production and the exploration game. Has been fucking gutted. What did he do on day one? Biden. Shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Supply is down as a matter of policy. And then you throw on like the Russia sanctions on top of that. And just a growing demand for fossil fuel. Around the world you get high prices. So stop focusing on the greedy oil companies. And just start looking at our government policies surrounding supply. If we had plenty of supply. Then the prices would come down. Look at it this way. Energy feeds the machines. You know, the machines that do freaking everything. The machines that make everything, that transport everything. Fossil fuels are uniquely cost-effective, reliable energy for every type of machine. So if we wanna focus on energy independence and view low-cost energy as good for human flourishment, Then we will start making better policies and decisions right we need to start choosing the people over the planet because what good is saving the planet if it's at the peril of the people did you ever think of that so if all the mega rich people that we've been warning you about want this green new deal and don't want to get rid of fossil fuels you have to make the next logical connection in your brain what that means no more fossil fuels means no more reliable energy means we're going backwards we're not gonna die by a rising sea level we will die from famine we will die from exposure we will die from all the things that fossil fuels has saved us from we didn't get to a life expectancy in the 80s by no fossil fuel I bet you that's a good exercise. Look at that life expectancy chart. Bet you it goes way up when we got fossil fuels. Look at it before. What was your life like before fossil fuels? Again, manual labor. You had a hard fucking life. The most plausible alternative to fossil fuels is nuclear and hydro. And so if you're not including those in your environmental discussion, then you aren't really having an environmental discussion that is about increasing human flourishment. Takeaway one, spend some time and try to drill down into what your philosophy is. Takeaway number two: if the experts have been wrong for so long and still will not admit it in the face of all the evidence, we're no longer dealing in science, we are dealing with politics. Takeaway number three, if someone only focuses on the side effects and does not acknowledge any of the benefits, then they're not interested in having a good faith discussion on the topic. And finally, my favorite, takeaway number four, there are gas and diesel powered cars, and there are battery powered cars. And there are hybrid gas and battery powered cars. There is no such thing as an electric car. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you learned something. And please, I've included all the links For all this stuff in the description, please take a tumble down the rabbit hole. Start figuring out what your philosophy should be and start really looking at these policies and figuring out what they mean for us because they're not here to help us.